Tonight on Son of a Ginger, we have harvested the power of lightning to bring you a Torah double feature for the ages. <laughs> First off, we have a particularly lackluster offering from Stephen King fanboys Pet Cemetery. Ooh, the pets! Meow, 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 meow! Sure to send many shivers down spines all over the globe. <laughs> Grab your pets, make sure that they have been sedated, and watch that movie. And look out for the angry road! And then we have Jordan Peele's Us, a movie about us. I've got five on that film! (laughs) It's a very soft drama about love in the big city. Let's hold hands as we make our family scared! Let your movie minds be invaded by the clever musings of screen auteur Jordan Peele. And then tune in for another episode of Keen Peele! <laughs> He's narrating the Twilight Zone as we speak. It's pretty good too! <laughs> so grab your garlic and your crucifixes and your silver handled spoons and we shall start our Son of a Ginger horror cavalcade double feature extravaganza of horrors and delights. Meow, meow. Welcome, everyone. I'm one of your horrible hosts, Patrick Baylor. And it is I, back from the grave, Mason Moreau. And we are here to review two fun little horror flicks that came out in the last few weeks. We got Pet Cemetery. Directed by Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widemeyer. And later we have Us, directed by Jordan Peele. Wait, we're not just going to sit here and talk aimlessly? I thought the second half of the podcast was Us. Yeah, it's just Us. We're just going to give the viewers like a little inside look into our lives, because they're so interesting and deserve to be talked about. I know, later I'm going to just be shopping for red jumpsuits. Yeah, I'm going to be like sitting on the couch, eating chips, playing Sekiro. Like, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. The Sunday plans of Mason and Patrick. So what are we talking about today? We got these uh, these two horror films. One was good, one was bad. Which one are we going to talk about first? Probably the bad one, right? Let's talk about the bad one. We'll give you a good one to end on. So last night we saw the film Pet Cemetery, and adapted from a Stephen King novel, one of his spookiest, was made into a film in 1989. We watched this with my father, and he enjoyed it for the sake of he just remembered all the stuff from the old movie and like said the better stuff from the movie and the book that wasn't really even addressed in this film. And there was a lot missing, I guess. This truly was a slap-together film, to be honest. Weirdly paced, weirdly edited. Talk about it, Mason. Well, first of all, I want to say that I fell asleep during the first third of the movie. Yes, you did. (laughs) Partly because the movie was boring, but mainly because we had been drinking beer and wine all day at a beer and wine festival. The Brookhaven Beer and Wine Festival. And I just desperately needed a nap. Those are some cozy seats for these, like, what, like $18 tickets ended up being absurd in itself, one thing. (laughs) You know, sometimes I just need to go to a movie that I can nap through, you know what I mean? So, like, all joking aside, I did fall asleep during the first third of this movie. When I woke up, I had a couple pretty lengthy texts from you (laughs) describing to me all of the exposition that happened in the first act of this movie. And had I not had that, I would not have understood the rest of the movie. Because that's literally what the first third, even the first half, it was kind of a quick, oh, it's been 100 minutes. Oh, I guess we're done. Like, it moved quickly, I guess. And because just every scene was, all right, cool. Did we say this exposition point? Great. Let's get to the next scene. 
That was the whole first half. We could probably sum it up in those text messages I sent you. Let me read them. Yeah, doctor and his family move to a remote part in Maine. They want to get out of the big city and be doctors up there. And then some weird kids have a funeral procession for some dead pet. Their family cat dies. And then John Lithgow, who's like the weird kooky neighbor, is like, oh, we should bury it in the pet cemetery. Oh, wait, this pet is important to your daughter? Oh, let's go to this creepy mountain two-hour hike away and just bury the cat there. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then the cat comes to life. Oh, man. John Lithgow playing Uncle from Red Dead Redemption 2. (laughs) Uncle. (laughs) I think his character's name was Judd. This is the uh, synopsis I was given. So it says, they buried the dead cat deep in the property on the mountain. Now the cat is alive. Jason Clark researched to suggest this has been happening for a while in the city. Animals coming back to life. Cat just scratched the daughter. We'll update on plot points as you sleep. (laughs) Also, the wife had a sister with a spine disease that died in a dumbwaiter shaft, like all compacted because of her spine disease. John Lithgow is saying that the land past all those logs is sour because of the ancient Wendigo, a creepy Native American Murphy. Myth. Then you send then you send a star and it says myth. Jason Clark also just left the cat somewhere a ways away in like a national lark park. It was dark, okay. And then you woke up. So then I then I woke up and I was like, What is happening? And then it was a daughter's birthday party. She gets hit by an oil truck. You know, screw big oil. Screw big oil and they're big dumb trucks. Big oil. Get the Tesla trucks already. Those will stop. Those won't kill your daughter. All right? Tesla has these automated trucks now. Probably not going to happen anymore. Yeah. Because pet cemetery plot completely foiled. The pet cemetery plot will take down big oil. And yeah, Mason, you summed it up. Well, I, I summed it up. Well, whatever the hell. Because it's just each scene in that first half was just exposition, exposition. It's like, oh, hey, there's an ancient burial ground. Oh, let's go to the ancient burial ground now. Let's have fun. Continues to chug along. The daughter dies from the truck. He buries the daughter. Now she's some weird zombie creature, and she just loves stabbing people's ankles and Achilles tendons. And then horror occurs for the next 30 minutes. Everyone runs around stabbing, stabbing, and then it ends. Kind of what we have. That's the film. And then meanwhile, there's someone in the theater who, like, every time something scary happens, goes, she. That was the best part of the film. There was, like, I think just a certain part for all of the audience that realized this isn't the best film that they're seeing. So let's just have fun and just, if there is something scary, let's just all be like, oh, shit. Plenty of times where someone did that and then the whole theater, like, uproared in laughter. Yeah, my dad was like, "What? what what's so funny? And I was like, everyone thinks this is dumb, dad. <laughs> I killed my daughter and buried her in the pet cemetery. She. The movie had, like, good points, I guess, you know, because, like, the big overlying theme is just like, all right, tell your daughter about death or tell your daughter about the truth, and this is a true thing. Otherwise, what you don't believe in will kill you, right? The overlying theme is about getting over death. Yeah. And that, it like, it's an inevitable and random part of human life. I think that's the overlying theme. It's like, I don't think it has anything to do with telling your kids about... Gotta tell your kids about death. From what I did see of this movie, it was edited very poorly. I think there were so many jumps, like the whole movie was filmed like a bad action scene. Yeah. Like where they just jump cut, jump cut, jump cut, jump cut. And they don't really like linger too much on things. The slower scenes get better, like when he's in the fire pit with Judd and he drugs him. Drugs Judd. That sounds like a band name. Ooh, we drug Judd. We drugged Judd. Coming to Bonnaroo this summer. Yeah, like those like schemey scenes. Because like that's him scheming to like, all right, Judd, I'm going to make you pass out and then I'm going to 
take my daughter over the over the logs and bury her and make her a zombie kid. And Judd's like, I know what you're thinking. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's that character. He's the don't do it guy. Yeah, which is stupid because he's the guy that comes on in the first place and it's like oh hey like i'm not going to tell you what this is about but you said you really like the cat so you said you really like the cat okay okay we're gonna bury her oh but we're gonna bury him over this thing and it's gonna be a hike but we're gonna bury him don't don't worry about it though it's gonna be fine don't worry about it until later jason clark yeah of course nothing bad's gonna happen there jason clark idiot he's taking a break from torturing some Taliban in Zero Dark Thirty to come here and revive his daughter. Yeah. That being said, so what did you think about the performances from these, at least these names that we recognize? You know, Jason Clark and John Lithgow, they're not selling out theaters, but they're both like reputable actors. Did they help this film at all? I thought that the performances overall were fine. None of the performances were bad. I think the writing, Jason Clark's character was, he was a little underwritten. He didn't have too much like backstory or anything. I think John Lithgow is the best thing about this movie. Like his performance alone and his character alone adds a lot of color and intrigue to the movie, as well as the wife. Rachel, played by Amy Simitz. They were the two most interesting characters, although I was asleep for the explanation of her backstory. Well, that's the thing. The explanation of her backstory, it existed as this thing to like literally give you something spooky in the trailer or just in the movie in general. Because, yeah, like, uh, one of the texts that you just read woke you up. Like, the, one of the first jump scares of her, like... Oh, it did. Of her, yeah, like, of her Don't sister with the spine disease. It's like, all right, what happened back here? Here's this scary thing that really has nothing to do with anything in the movie. But, hey, now we know a little bit more about, about the wife character. Oh, it seems like something scary happened to her. Anyway, let's get back to real life, you know? And that's kind of it. Didn't serve anything other than a scare. And that was it. It was cheap. A cheap scare. I ain't a cheap scare. Cheap scares. And that's the whole thing about Stephen King is that it's not cheap scares. No, far from it. The one, like, it was more of like a horror-y trope, but I think she did good of just like, this movie has just another creepy kid. The Ellie character played by Jete Lawrence, if I'm saying that right. I'm probably pronouncing all these names wrong. Yeah, how many how many little girls from hell do we have to have in movies before we come up with something else? Yeah, because this is just another one of those. And, you know what I mean? You know, this is an older source material, but there's nothing that really sets this apart from any other... Yeah, creepy kid moves their head around and around and around and wreaks havoc. Unmemorable. Paramount Purge before the spring season starts and yeah. they have their heavy hitting movies. I don't even know what those are going to be, but I don't know what they are for Paramount either. Yeah. They let this thing chug along, put butts in seats. It was really counter programming to the big release of this weekend, Shazam. So it's like, all right, you don't want to see another superhero film. Here's a very random horror film with Stephen King's name slapped on it to maybe sell more tickets, but otherwise it's not very Stephen Kingy, not in my opinion. You want my one sentence review of this film listeners? I should have seen Shazam. 100%. So, Mason, do you see a sequel coming for this film? Okay, so here's my idea for a sequel, right? The cat, Church, comes back. And Church has founded a church of zombie pets. He's like a priest, but he's struggling because he's fallen in love with another one of the cats. But he's forbidden to love. Is the cat Taylor Swift's cat? Yeah, it's a Taylor Swift cat. And Church is played by Nick Jonas. (laughs) And so, that yeah. That's that's my Pet Cemetery 2 pitch. I'd see that. Funny thing is, one of the directors said in like interviews, like, oh yeah, I cannot wait to make a prequel if this movie makes lots of money. I have no idea if either of them sound like that, but might as well. If this 
film makes lots of money. We shall make prequel film. Set it all up. I don't think this is making any money. I talked to Stephen King. He said he liked my movie. I hope he let me make two. He will hopefully make me Stephen Prince. <laughs> <laughs> I will be Stephen Royalty, like many others. We're very much looking forward to It, It 2, the It sequel, because this one isn't bringing any good sequels. Wait, It 2 is not called That? <laughs> <laughs> you think? It, That, Them. Us. And us. <laughs> and that's what we're talking about now. And that is what we are talking about you now. You can't write segues like that. You, so no. let's talk about Us, the much better horror film that we've seen in recent memory, at least the last couple weeks, but in recent memory, too. Why not? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, we saw it two weekends ago, three weekends ago. So we saw Us starring Lupita Nyong'o. And Winston Duke and some other cool kids and Tim Heidecker. Okay. Tim Heidecker, awesome. Elizabeth Moss, awesome. Us was definitely the superior film of these two, and this one stars Lupita and is about a family on a family vacation down to some old beach in Santa Cruz, and we see some flashbacks and some other things starting out, see some rabbits hanging out, and some introductory texts saying that there's a bunch of people that live underground. Oh, it's that the U.S. has tons of underground unused tunnels yeah beneath it which totally seems like jordan peele is at like a 3 a.m google rabbit hole <laughs> and like hence the rabbits and he was just like you know what why do we have all these tunnels what's in them what if something was in them oh what if there were people in there i'm on this internet rabbit hole what if the people were in there eating rabbits honestly that's kind of what it was so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves but people underground there's Rabbits hanging out underground and all set up because the this family goes on a beach vacation. There's something just not right. Something's not right, says Lupita. Lupita Nyong'o and her family are sort of this middle class family and they have this beach house and they're very tight knit, good people. And she has this sort of haunting experience in her past. The husband's best friend is Tim Heidecker. And they're sort of an upper middle class family and they're always trying to one up each other and like all this stuff. Middle class social dynamic sort of underlying competition sort of thing. But then the tethered invade. (gasps) Hands across America. And then this movie really, I would say Get Out did the same thing. Like each act is very different in a great way. You know, we get that classic horror movie set up and then still within like the first act and like the first act to second act switch we get there's bad guys in the house let's run around the house for x amount of minutes home invasion horror is like a pretty big subgenre i'd say this is sort of jordan peele's idea of what a home invasion movie can be with his flavor on top of it yeah cuz i think one thing of like home invasion that's one thing that can happen to anyone tomorrow so it's like one of those things of like Oh man, my property ain't safe. I gotta keep things mine. And then, you know, these bad guys coming forward and we're able to see who they are. It's us. It's actually just these people. It begins to get to the part where we have to think of what is the underlying like subtext of this? What are we afraid of that is, that looks like us? You know what I mean? Our own inner demons. Our own inner demons. They look like us, but they're not us. Are they us? I don't know. Yeah. And we see these inner demons a little bit of like, Everything that kind of makes the main character, the above-ground character, insecure. 
and we see that like tethered are much better and kind of like lean on the talents that the above people wish they had you know the daughter she is a great world-class runner at least underground class runner she's fast and continues running while the above ground version doesn't really care about running she just cares about texting and listening to her ipod Right. You know, I think this movie and Get Out are sort of doomed to comparison because they're Jordan Peele's only movies thus far. And watching it in the theater, I was like, you know, this movie probably won't be as rewatchable as Get Out was. I was thinking that as watching it. And then the end twist happens and it completely recontextualizes Lupita Nyong'o's character. And I was like, okay, wow. Well, now I want to go back and watch the whole thing and realize that her motivations were totally different than what you originally expect them to be, which was a pretty nice and satisfying conclusion to the film, I would say. And yeah, that big twist that ends up happening after all the running around and being scared of the double people, Lupita is originally the underground Lupita, you know? When Lupita went down there so long ago, her her character Adelaide, at least, her character Adelaide saw herself and then underground version bonked her on the head, handcuffed her downstairs and took her life, switched her life. So if you guys watch this again, like it's a whole new yeah context of it because it's like, oh shit, that's underground Lupita. That's why she wasn't able to talk for like two years after she came from that incident and everything. She didn't know how to talk. She didn't know how to talk. She relearned talking. She just knew how to... <laughs> A lot of that, those noises. And then the original Lupita is underground for 30 years, just stewing, getting angry that she has been switched and her life has been taken from her. So she plans revenge to where all these tethered come up and take over the world. And I am excited to watch this film again for the sake of that big twist because it makes you understand why she didn't want to go to the beach house originally. She know that the real her is there and she will be made as an imposter if she gets close and bad stuff happens. So yeah, upon second watch, the motivations of Adelaide will make a little bit more sense because, you know, it's her as this changed person that was this government clone, I think was explained. All the tethered were like failed government clones and she was one that I guess made it work. Yeah, it sort of has this allegorical subtext to how we as people and a society sort of like to suppress our inner demons in favor of appearing like we're okay and that kind of thing and how those sort of manifest themselves in pretty dangerous ways down the line and then also it has this sort of wide-reaching commentary and how our government tries to hide things pretty often as well Mm -hmm. that's a little bit more on the nose than the first assessment of the plot for me but like you know you think about things like the Gulf of Tonkin incident and the assassination of the first president of the Democratic Republic of the Congo by the CIA. All of this stuff that was like conspiracy theories, but ended up being true that the government tried to cover up, right? (laughs) This plot is sort of rooted in something that we all sort of at least know a little bit about. So it makes it seem that much more believable and makes it seem that much easier to chew. They'd never talked about it other than like a couple of sentences, but it's just like, Oh, yeah, then there was some government cloning. Huh? What? And then, yeah, this kind of myth around it all, this legend of the government clones that doesn't get explained anymore, but it's like, oh, I guess that could happen. All right. Yeah, sure. So here's a question for you, Patrick. Would you call this a horror movie? Would you really call it a horror movie? I'd call it a horror movie. Like, it has the beats of a horror film. It's definitely like a horror thriller or a horror suspense. It has a great story that sometimes horror films don't, but like you throw those 
subgenres on at the end, and that's where it makes sense that it this horror thriller suspense whatever does that and that it also uses weirdo science fiction that people used in the last film and get out as well you know talking about brain switching and now we got government cloning and things like that just right. like that like one weird conspiracy theory gives it that horror ting along with just the general like bodily violence it yeah. constitutes it as a horror film. i think where get out was sort of a commentary on where in the wrong hands scientific practice could fictionally go you know what i mean like where like if someone wanted to take science this way, what would happen? And then it's this one. This one is like if someone wanted to take a government program this way, what would happen? You know what I mean? Science versus politics. And then we can talk about like the politics about the underlying theme. You know, with Get Out, it talks about these kind of like these Nazi science experiments that the Nazis did, thinking that like, oh hey, black people are great at this, that, and this. Let's take that and for the Aryan race. And da da da. Now with this one, we get, hey, we can get everyone to work in harmony, and you know, mentions the hands across America thing, and just how odd that was. And we can use these government social happy programs to bring everyone together. And it's like, oh, okay, well, clearly no one is together. Well, let's make all these people that can work in harmony that we can then control. You know, like that. Yeah, it has both of those similar, like, got to dig a little bit, but that's what those are with those weird science sci-fi projects. Exactly. So this movie had a lot of like cool little things, cool little Easter eggs throughout that Jordan Peele definitely put in that makes it more excitable for a second or third viewing and does that with references, but also does that with the big theme of duality that he just throws in there. And then this theme of duality that then shows, hey, the second side is a little scarier than the original side. I know you said something with the music that he did. Yeah. So there's uh, something the composer for this movie did when the family first invades they play the main theme and then add the minor fifth to the root note of the main theme it's sort of playing the evil version of the major note along with the theme i know very little about music theory i'll like say it right now i know about minor fifths though and how they are the relative note to the major key right in that sense it's the music is playing its relatives as well as the characters in the movie right they're it's meeting its relative its evil relative for the first time and for people that don't understand the super duper inner workings of music theory let's just show them so here is what was it just a normal major major fifth right yeah so here's the major fifth all right and now here's the minor fifth yes so yeah i see the difference and all you other folks, you can kind of hear that little, uh, that eerie side of it now with that little guy added in there. So we had the minor fifth thing, and then there was a Jaws t-shirt. There was a shot where the twins died. The kids of Tim Heidecker are like twins, and then they get stabbed in a hallway, and it looks exactly like a shot from The Shining. That shot specifically was really awesome, where it pans out, and you just see the windows of this nice house just get covered in blood. Tim Heidecker, you crazy man. His acting as the uh, the tethered version of his character was so zany and ridiculous. Yeah, he's just overt zombie. Also, shout out to the name of that character's yacht, B Yach. B Yach with the word yacht in the Y A C H T C H. We're going yacht. to the B Yach, y'all. It's gonna be fun. The one thing with like second viewing though that will be interesting is so we know Adelaide slash Red. Adelaide is you know the underground version. The movie keeps talking about like the bond between her and Jason, the son, and Pluto, the underground version. His mouth is burned off, 
So he, you know, he can't literally talk. He took a liking to fire. And Red is the only one that can talk, and that's because she is originally from above ground. But then this Pluto character can't talk because his mouth is burned. Theories suggest that Jason is also the OG underground, and Adelaide and Jason are underground people that have since also done a switcheroo. How that could happen, I'm not sure. What are your thoughts, Mr. Mason? I don't I don't buy it. I don't think there was enough information presented in the movie to sort of prove that. What is what are what do people point to when they say that? Well, the biggest part, just that little look at the end, like the last shot, it's Adelaide looking at Jason and Jason looking at Adelaide that suggests that Jason kind of knows her deal, like knows that like, okay, you clearly aren't my mom. And then this theory kind of goes from of like, you are my mom and we just got away with something. We just got away with a little scheme. Now we're the confirmed above ground people. <laughs> no, I think that's his character sort of trying to process whether or not that person is actually his mom because she definitely gave birth to him. Technically, both of the kids are half tethered. Yeah. He basically found out that his mom is not who she claimed to be this whole time. And I think that was that look that he gives her at the end is the sort of him processing whether or not he should be scared. He's learning this new piece of information about his mom that he felt like he knew her fully his whole life. And now this little piece of color has been added. And now whether he should be scared or he should be like, okay, well, you know what? This is fine all along, I guess. You know, you're not my mom, so to speak, but you are my mother. You know what I mean? I don't think that he was sort of in on the joke because I, I feel like if that was the point, then they would have explored that a little more in the movie. The twist would have been a different type of poignant if the kid had also been tethered. Like that would have been something you'd want to explore, not just leave open-ended, right? True. I mean, you never know. Mr. Peel could make more of these. He could make another us. He could make them. Speaking of which... Do we smell a sequel for them, for us? I'd like to see it because this was an intriguing film, but what would that be? You know, is it them, this family now fighting across all these hands across America red people? I can see it being a short film where like four of the tethered people in the middle of the hands across America thing are just like, I'm parched. I need some water and a rabbit. And they're just sitting there like, like when when are we gonna let go of our hands? I need some damn just, fried rabbit, okay? Yeah, give me give me some raw rabbit and a and a water and I'll be fine. I'll be delicious. Or they'd probably more just be like, <laughs> or it could be like the military coming, like twenty eight weeks later, where they feel like they've completely eradicated this thing, and then there's like a contingency plan in place that they didn't necessarily think of. So, like, they all come back for some reason. Like, the, everyone, all the tethered people come back. For context, 28 days later is about, like, the first month of a zombie outbreak. Mm-hmm. 28 weeks later is about how we cleaned up the zombie outbreak, and then there's one passive carrier of the disease that accidentally gives it to someone, and it starts all over again. Yeah. If there were going to be a sequel, I think that'd be the one. The shot I'm at, just straight up, like military attack helicopter flying over the plains of the mountains of Montana and they're tethered just like holding hands all through it and he just walks over and machine guns them all down right and then Wesley Snipes is in the chopper and he's like we got him and is and then he flies back Forrest Whitaker and his tethered just like stand looking at each other very silent just like squinting their left eye at each other like who can have the squintiest, most inquisitive face. <laughs> and they're just, they're both like, 
So we have sequel ideas, and this was a good movie, but like, were th- was there anything that made you just not believe it? Were there any plot holes for you? There are a couple plot holes that are just like you you sit there and like stew about the movie for a little bit and they come up, but it's never anything that like breaks the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like Pluto can definitely imitate Jason, but then he just all of a sudden decides to imitate him fully and walk himself back into a flaming car for some reason. Fully do the mirror. Yeah, he was like, he liked to imitate and that was sort of part of the character, but they never explained anything that would go as far as him just completely killing himself and walking into fire. Yeah, because we're talking about the scene where Jason goes back and then Pluto steps back, Pluto steps back and fire, Jason just steps back. And it just goes back to the original point when Red is giving us this context for everything, saying... Yes, and then we did the mirror things down underground while you were playing with toys. We were playing with scissors. No, 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 no. And makes you think, okay, is everyone doing the exact same thing up and down? And if so, like, how would they know what they're actually doing? Is it because they're just connected that way through their DNA? Or is it just something that they wrote and went back to it when it was convenient and made sense for the whole duality theme? Right. I think another plot hole was just, who is delivering them all these rabbits? Is it the president of the United States? Just like someone who like has to be able to keep secrets? Like who's just like, okay, we got to bring these people more rabbits. It's like, all right, the monthly rabbit ration. Yeah, but speculation like that, it just sort of ruins the movie. And it's it's not something that you necessarily need to think about to enjoy the movie. Forget about the inaccuracies. Have fun with the good parts. Come on, guys. Yeah, I mean, if the inaccuracy breaks the plot, then that's where you have a problem but in this case there wasn't any like plot breaking plot holes it was just some sort of loose ends that it would have made a three-hour movie if you tried to tie them all up you know what i mean well we can just maybe assume that they have postmates down there yeah just get get some fried rabbit on postmates we're sitting in the tunnel postmating rabbit it took forever we didn't have a delivery code (laughs) But we still tipped, because that's what you need to do with your Postmates driver. You bastards get 25% off every third Sunday. Hippity hop. Do you know what the market price for rabbit is in this economy? We are here protesting the price of rabbit. (laughs) What if that was the plot of the movie? They were just like, we want cheaper rabbits. And seasoning. These rabbits are so damn bland. Maybe a propane grill or something. Give me a damn green egg. It's summertime and I want to have fun. I've been waiting for some spit-roasted rabbit for a long time. Well, everyone, thank you again for this horror-tinged experience. If you want to listen to more of our scary stories... You can go on to Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your scary music. I can feel the lightning about to strike upon my creation. Igor, turn off the light. Before the lights turn off, I've been the horrible Patrick Baylor. I'm Mason Moreau. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>